Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. A fun interview for you today. I had the opportunity to reconnect with one of my good seminary friends, Lenny Lucchetti. He is a Wesleyan pastor. Uh, Currently, he is the professor of proclamation and Christian ministries at Wesley Seminary of Indiana Wesleyan University. He's also served as a pastor for more than 15 years. He's written uh, three books, True Disciple, True Depth, Sorry, True Depth, Moving Beyond Cultural Churchianity, and that's the book that we'll talk quite a bit about. He's also written a book on preaching essentials, and his newest book that's just come out is Preaching with Empathy, Crafting Sermons in a Callous Culture. Lenny's also a fly fisherman extraordinaire. He, he's done some teaching to help me be a better fly fisherman. Uh, he is a, a seminary friend. Our families get together on vacation from time to time, and I'm Whenever I have a chance to talk with Lenny, I'm always challenged by Lenny, and I think you'll be challenged as well uh, in this conversation. Lisa, that's my hope uh, for someone like Lenny who has invested a lot of time and energy and passion for improving the ministry of preaching. He also lifts up the need for small groups in order uh, for vital discipleship. And so with that, I'm going to roll into the interview. Well, Lenny, thank you so much for agreeing to, to join me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about this conversation. We always have good conversations, uh, whether it's formally like this or when we're hanging out with our families, we always have good conversations. So I'm very excited that you're willing to join me. And I think the best place to jump in is with your book, True Depth, Moving Beyond Cultural Churchianity. So what led you to write that book? I uh, thanks for having me. First of all, Scott, it's great to spend time with you, and uh, we have lots of memories together at seminary. And uh, love you and your family. Thank you for for having me. I uh, I was pastoring in in northeastern Pennsylvania, and uh, I can't remember why exactly, but I was in a cab. I think my car broke down or something, or my wife kicked me out of the house. I don't remember exactly (laughs) what happened. But I was in a cab in my hometown, and uh, the cabbie was Muslim, and Mm -hmm. he knew I was a pastor. So we we got the talking about, you guessed it, you know, religion. Yeah. <laughs> that and, happens to us, yeah. And uh, it was a very uh, cordial conversation. Um, but at one point in the conversation, he said this to me, and he said it more tactfully than it's going to sound. He said, uh, you, for you, you Christians in America don't seem all that different from the rest of the people in American culture. Mm, interesting. Said, for, us, for us Muslims, our, our religion cost us something. Now, now what he said was a gross generalization. Okay, fair enough. But, but what he said was generally true, yeah, as yeah. far as he tells a pastor. And what he said haunted me. And the mm. question that sort of came out of it for me was, am I really, as a pastor, making disciples who make disciples? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, how many, I mean, how many of the people that I'm pastoring are really swimming in the deep end of the discipleship pool? Okay. I remember uh, my, my, my son Sam was six, and we got him swimming lessons, and, and my wife Amy and I knew that he could swim in the deep end of the pool, okay. uh, six feet, which would have been over his head, but we knew he could swim, he, uh, but he didn't know it. So, mm. so for a year, he stayed in the shallow end, maybe three feet deep. Okay. 
I, I knew he wanted the deep water. I, I knew he could swim in the deep water, but he stayed in the shallow end. Yeah. And I kept trying to coax him into the deep end. You know, I'll, Sam, I'll buy you ice cream. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> let you watch your favorite movie five times if you want. <laughs> Bribery. And, that's what we do well as parents. Right? He just would, he just stayed in the shallow end. Yeah. And I knew, I knew he was made for something better. Mm. Well, by the end of that, by the end of that summer, uh, finally, he just actually, Amy and I were, weren't even really watching or coaxing. He just, he just jumped in the deep end. Okay. And, and was kicking his legs and reaching his arms and so excited, you know, daddy, daddy, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I can, I can swim in the deep end. And, and the sense of fulfillment that he experienced moving out of the shallows and into the depths mm. is what I want for the church of Jesus Christ and disciples. Yeah, I think, well, I think we're bored with the shallows and mm. we really don't experience the presence and the power of God most profoundly mm. until we're out on a limb swimming in water over our head. That's when God shows up. So that's what I want for the church. Yeah, that's really good. You made me think about, I've been re going back and reading The Cost of Discipleship with uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And, and this morning that in the chapter, he talked about the hallmark of, of the Christian is the extraordinary, right? And, and, and that's exactly what I think you were naming uh, from your conversation with the, the cab driver, right? Is we're missing that, that element of extraordinary in order to to get to that deeper end of discipleship uh you name some really helpful ways in the book i'll let you expound on those yeah uh well i talk about american churchianity and how it's how it's different from biblical christianity mm, very true and i think it's so easy for you know the beauty of the gospel is that it can be contextualized to any culture true but there's a fine line between contextualization and compromise. And mm. so I, sometimes we we so syncretize American values with Christian virtues that we lose the essence of, of Christianity. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, American churchianity to me is about getting. Mm. Biblical Christianity is about giving. Uh, American churchianity is egocentric. Mm. Uh, biblical Christianity is Christocentric. Mm -hmm. and so there's a, just a big difference between the two. And, you know, I think... I think we've bought into the idea, many of us, that especially in the American church, that God exists to make us happy. Yeah. God yeah. does not exist to make us happy, but to make us holy so that holiness becomes yeah. our greatest happiness. Yeah. And so um, I talk about in the book uh, things that may be a little uncomfortable. Uh, so okay. I talk about, for example, transformation. The ch there's five chapters, and one of them is on transformation, how what God does with the bread, he wants to do with us. Mm. Take us, break us, and then give us to the world as something extraordinary. That's good. And and we, sh let's just be honest, none of us like the breaking part. Mm. Uh, most of the time we want to run from break brokenness, not mm. to it. Mm -hmm. And yet the reality is, if, if we're going to become something more more extraordinary than ordinary bread, we have to go through the wilderness. We have to experience a period of brokenness a lot of times when when God holds up the mirror and exposes our sinful proclivities uh, our self-centeredness our narcissism mm -hmm. and he never does it he never does it to sort of like shove our face in our sinful vomit but <laughs> that's, a, but, that's an image <laughs> yeah sorry about that but, but I mean that's but true to, but to exp he exp it's like it's like Malachi chapter three so so God turns up the heat the refiner's fire. He turns up the heat on the fire 
Not so much that it destroys the silver, because if you turn up the heat too much, it'll destroy the silver. But, but he's got to make it hot enough so that the impurities in the silver come to the surface so he can skim them off. Hmm. And that's uncomfortable. And, and again, so many of us tend to run from that. We, we work it away. We eat it away. We sex it away. Mm. We movie it away. We entertain it away. Mm. And I think uh, if we're ever going to become, move from the ordinary to the extraordinary, we've, we've got to sort of submit to the hands of Christ to break us. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So let me ask you this question then. This is the, the small groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast. H- how do small groups fit into this, right? How do small groups help us get deeper in our discipleship and keep us, or maybe even make us aware of the, the distinctions between these the American virtues and the biblical virtues? Uh, what's the role of small groups in discipleship? I think small groups... Uh, are part of the way, one of the premier ways, I think, today, that God God does hold up the mirror mm. uh, in a way that shows us not only our, our, our sinful idiosyncrasies and proclivities, but also our strengths and our potential. So mm. I think in the context of community, we begin to see ourselves as God made us. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's easy to be, uh, to lack self-awareness, but when you're in a group of five, 10, 15 people who love you enough to tell you the truth about your strengths as well as your struggles, weaknesses, um, that's how we grow. Yeah. Uh, assuming that assuming that it's the kind of group that is secure enough to be mm. honest in our commendation of each other as well as critique of each other. Yeah. You know? But, you know, one of, one of the beauties of the church is uh, you, don't, you don't get to pick who comes. <laughs> so... And, 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 and I think that should be the way it is in small groups to some extent. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because, yeah. because, you know, if I were picking a small group, I would pick people who, who look and act and think theologically like I do. So an echo chamber. Yes, exactly. And, and, and as I look back about, upon my Christian experience, I've grown most mm. when I've been forced into community with people not like me, mm. ethnically, generationally, economically, ecclesiologically or theologically, and, and I'm forced to grow in that kind of atmosphere in ways I would not if I were with people who think and act and look just like me. Yeah, totally agree. I, you made me think back to some of the conversations we had in seminary between Methodist and Church of God and uh, Nazarenes and Wesleyans and even some Baptists thrown in there, and um, they, they forced me, others, to, to think differently. Right yeah. to, to really challenge. I mean, we we need that. We need those times where we're we're challenged. We also need those times when we're supported, nurtured, encouraged. Right. We need need both those things. And small groups, a healthy small group, has both of those elements. One of the other elements a small group should have is mission. Um, and that's one of the things you talk about in your in your book, um, True Depth. You tell a story there. I hope you could share this story. Uh, of your father and the bully, because that, that that story has stuck with me. So do you mind sharing that story? Yeah. Well, I grew up in the city of Philadelphia, you know, Rocky Balboa country. Right That's why we can't talk when the Phillies <laughs> and the Braves play or the Eagles and the Falcons right. play. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Check each other, mean stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so uh, I remember back when I was 12, you know, my, my dad, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so this his approach was not very Christian, but there was a neighborhood bully who asked, who had picked on my sister, 
called her some names I can't repeat. And my dad got home from work and told me to go knock on the bully's door and to meet him on the corner for a fight. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I was scared to death of the bully, but I was more afraid of disappointing my dad. Mm. So I, I compare that to how Jesus was asked by his father mm. to leave the comfort of Capernaum where he had built his ministry headquarters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to go to Jerusalem to face bullies mm. and how Jesus was more concerned about pleasing his father than preserving his life. Mm. And, uh, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to truly become disciples who make disciples, we've got to break free from our Capernaum of comfort, coziness, Mm. and convenience Mm. to go to Jerusalem. And it's going to take, you know, cost and commitment, courage, Courage. passion, those things. And you know what happened to Jesus as a result of going to face the I mean, he, he, he took one on the chin for us. So, uh, so then I, I, you know, I, I, I end that chapter talking about how, uh, my dad, when I got to the corner and, and the bully showed up, my dad was actually on the corner as well, that he didn't ask me to go to a place to face bullies where he himself was not present. Mm. And, and during that time, I, you know, my, the bully was, was a lot bigger than me, a little older. So, so he, he kept hitting, getting me on the ground and hitting me, and my dad would come in and break it up and whisper in my ear, go get him, son. And then we'd, <laughs> we'd start the fight again, and then the, the guy would get me on the ground. His name was Mike. He would get me on the ground and pound me again, and my dad would break it up and say, go get him, son. That happened three or four times. Wow. Uh, until we were both exhausted, me from getting hit and <laughs> Mike from hitting me. So, And then my dad actually invited Mike over to my house to play Atari. That was the funny thing. you know. Oh, like, my word. Yeah. Uh, and Mike never messed with me again, not because he was afraid of me, but because he was afraid of my dad. Mm. <laughs> and I, I started to make the point about how uh, in Mark 10, the passage where I talk about mission, it's Mark says, uh, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem with his disciples and Jesus was leading the way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the point I make in terms of mission is, yeah, God calls us to go out on a limb to some scary places to leave Capernaum, to go to Jerusalem to roll up our sleeves and step in the space between the bully uh, and the bullied and to risk our lives, to risk our money, to risk our time, to risk our energy, uh, our status, our status, all that. But, but the good news is Jesus leads the way, you know, God will not, God's will won't take us where his presence and power won't sustain us. Mm, He's already there. So we don't, we don't go on mission and ask God to follow us. We follow God where he's already at work. Yeah. And he's there with us. So. Yeah, and it's, th- and it's through that process that we become sanctified, right? To, to bring this back to a Wesleyan sense of discipleship, right? It's it's through that process of having courage to go out on a limb and to know that, that he will sustain us, that God will sustain us through this. Um, yeah, that's great. That's really, really good stuff. Um, so that's one of your books. We certainly would recommend that to, to groups to, to use. True, to, true Depth, Moving Beyond Cultural chur- Churchianity. Yeah, and I should mention, Scott, there's a there's a small a, a free small groups lead, mm-hmm. group leaders guide with that uh, available through Wesley Press that has some sort of biblical exegetical helps as well as some uh, a lot of small group questions to guide the leader. Yeah, good, good. Well, I hope hope small groups will will take the chance to, to use that. And you've come up with a new book as well, um, and that's preaching with empathy, crafting sermons in a callous culture. Love that subtitle. 
Um, and I think it's very true. And as I've read through this now, one of the things that stuck out to me is, as you know, you obviously have written this for preachers, and it is, would, and I would certainly recommend it for preachers who are listening to this. Um, but I think it also would be helpful for teachers, right? As as you give some um, some practices of how to 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 help people grow in empathy, and and I, I do think empathy is a virtue that is needed, especially now in our culture. So. Uh, with that, I'll, I'll stop giving you high praise for it and just kind of let you, you talk about it, because I think it really is important in, in this time to, to do that. Yeah, well, there's really only only one or two of the chapters are really chapters are really specifically geared toward preaching. So it could be have more wider appeal in terms yeah. of laying out the foundation for the need for empathy in our culture. I mean, we we, yeah. you know, I mean, especially with the politically hostile climate we live in, uh, very rarely are people listening to those who who don't agree with them or mm. think like them, and so we we tend to either uh, get angry and shut people down, or we apathetically dismiss the views of others. So mm-hmm. what I'm after is not apathy or anger, but empathy, and mm. it's very much rooted in a sort of a Wesleyan view of perfect love. Okay, uh, yeah, that's good. You know, it's easy it's easy to love people who think and act like we do. Yeah. But the challenge is to love people who don't. And so, I, you know, I think most of us would assume that, you know, society is progressing, we're evolving, we're getting better with this empathy thing. Mm. Empathy being defined as the, 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 the grace or the capacity or the skill to, to uh, step into someone else's shoes so that we think what they think and feel what they feel and are moved to respond on their behalf. That's kind of how I define empathy. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, but all the studies are showing that actually, you know, we're, we're, we're less empathic today than we were a generation ago by a lot, by a lot. And, uh, university of Michigan did a study in 2010 and, and, uh, Dr. Sarah Conrath came away saying that, you know, college students today are, I think she said 40% uh, less empathic than wow. students a generation ago. So we're not evolving. And there's right. a lot for that. Yeah. Um, so, and again, you know, with, with the kind of presidential election we had and the political yeah. hostility, man, empathy is so necessary. Yeah. And, and especially for preachers. Um, mm. Because so many preachers have been taught that we are simply prophets mm-hmm. who represent a holy God to sinful people. Mm. We're truth tellers. And that's one side of the preaching coin, for sure. Mm. But we've, we've not given enough attention to the other side of the preaching coin. Mm. That is, the preacher is not just a prophet who represents a holy God to sinful people. Well, that's a fun role to play, though, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. But we're also, but we're also a priest who represents, yeah. with the words of our sermon, humanity to a holy God. So, Absolutely. so people hear us preach, they must not only sense, wow, this person knows God and walks with God and gets God, but this person knows me mm. and is to articulate for me my hopes and hurts in ways that I myself cannot articulate. Mm. That's what preaching is, prophet and priest. Yeah, that's good. I, I like that a lot. Can you say a little more uh, about empathy as a discipleship virtue, right? As, as basically putting our discipleship on, on, on display, one of the ways we do that, I would say, is, is through empathy. Um, you want to expand upon that at all or disagree with that? 
No, I think it is a Christian virtue. Uh, that's why I say it's a skill and it's a grace. I mean, okay, yeah. Not to get too much into neuroscience, but but that's, neuro- that's a place I like to go to. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but by all, you know, some of us would say, you know, I'm just not an, a person who has a lot of empathy. I don't like people that much, and mm-hmm. I'm too set in my ways. Mm-hmm. Well, science is saying that uh, uh, that that our brain is actually plastic long into adulthood. That is, that our brain can change; yep. it can be rewired. So neuroplasticity, Plastic- neuroplasticity. Absolutely. And for years we were taught that once you hit like adolescence, your brain is fixed, but no longer is that true. Right. That's been debunked. So, yeah. which, which really gels well with a, a Wesleyan theology, because we believe that, uh, that we can be restored here and now, not there and later in heaven, but here and now we can be restored by the power of the spirit back past Genesis three to Genesis one and two. Mm-hmm. Back to our original wiring, created in Imago Day, and uh, God is empathic, and so we are we are at root uh, empathic beings as well, created in God's image. Hmm. Now, other theologians would say that we are we're stuck with Genesis three, you know, we're hmm. depraved uh, until glory. Hmm. But Wesleyans believe that actually, when Jesus came, he came to swing the pendulum back. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1 2. Yep. So, where is your theology rooted? Genesis 3, the fall, or Genesis 1 and 2, mm. created in the image of God? So, I say all that to say that discipleship here and now is to, is to work in partnership, in community with Father, Son, and Spirit, in community with brothers and sisters to get back to the original image of God that marks that creation. Yeah, and that's the point at which John Wesley said he was within a hair's breadth of Calvin, right? It was a belief in total depravity, but provenient grace steps in and restores, and then through justifying and sanctifying grace, um, we are redeemed, we are restored, the, the new birth, all that language uh, is very helpful when, in thinking through discipleship. And I think you're absolutely right. Where we begin talking about discipleship is, is very helpful. Our, our anthropology, right? Who we are as, as God created us. Um, yeah. So um, this is, I think this has been a lot of fun and very helpful. Um, any other things you would say to pastors? You, you were a pastor for 15 years. Uh, small groups are a part of that ministry. What other advice would you give for, for pastors and, and others who are in small group ministry? Well, I think that as much as I believe in the power of preaching to transform lives, that more is necessary for the Mm. discipleship of people in the church. And so I think uh, strong biblical preaching that is both prophetic and priestly, Mm -hmm. uh, coupled with authentic small groups where people uh, are uh, truly free to air their joys and their struggles. Mm. Vulnerability. Yeah. 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 Like the early church. And so uh, I think those two things working in tandem can effectively transform disciples to transform the world. I mean, the time is ripe. The, the beauty, the beauty right now of discipleship is that we are. We're, this may not sound like a gift, but the church is sort of in exile. You know, mm-hmm. we are no longer the center of society. Mm-hmm. We are, we are on the periphery. Mm-hmm. This is a post-Christian, biblically illiterate, religion-suspicious context, mm-hmm. kind of like it was in the first century. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the potential for the gospel 
today is the same as it was in the first century. So I think we have to preach differently. I think we have to disciple somewhat differently because we're because the gospel is not privileged and the church isn't privileged anymore. Hmm. So how do how do we how do we how do we infect society? How do we make disciples in exile in Babylon hmm. uh, so that we that so that we impact uh, you know core society? If that makes sense. Yeah, very good. Well, uh, you and I could talk all day, um, and we, we <laughs> we'll probably continue talking, but we're going to stop this this here. So, Lenny, I want to say a big thanks for uh, for what you're doing uh, in making disciples in in your ministry, um, and how you continue to help me be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. So, so thank you, Lenny. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it, brother. So just a few quick reflections on the interview with Lenny. I think one of the things he names for us about the importance of small group ministry is that it is through small groups that God holds up a mirror and that within a small group ministry, we get to, if, if we do well, when we listen well, we set up the right dynamics, we hear not only our weaknesses, but our strengths, that we hear our, our, our limitations, but also begin to see our potential of what it is God wants to do in us and through us as individuals and as a group, as a community. And so it's there in small groups that we're, we're nurtured and we're challenged. And so one of the other points he met, he lifts up that I think is pretty interesting and one that I would say takes some time and effort because it's it's really easy. Or I shouldn't say really easy. That's that's an overstatement. It's, it's easier to do small groups that are life stage oriented. And I think there's a lot of good that comes from those. But there's also a time and a place for advocating for groups that are not homogeneous. Right, to be in community with those who are not like us ideologically, generationally, ethnically, that can really spur us to go deeper in discipleship. And I think he is right to press on that. Uh, those those are not easy to do, but but there are examples of that happening. So uh, if you've got an example of that, I hope you'll you'll let me know that. I hope you'll you'll reach out to us, and we want this to be as interactive as possible. So you can find more information uh, uh, about us on the umcdiscipleship.org website. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rev Scott's Tweets and also at UMC Adult Forum for adult formation. Uh, Lenny's also on Twitter if you want to find him on Twitter. I've, I've forgotten his handle. I apologize about that. I hope you'll continue to leave us some reviews. We've got some great reviews on iTunes. So I appreciate those. I hope you'll send us uh, your comments and suggestions for future episodes. I also want to give credit to Blake, our technical director, Matt Carlisle, our web producer, and Steve Horswell-Johnson, our executive producer. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.